Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports, live from La Casa de Paulson. <laughs> yeah. Craig Hoffman, that is Logan Paulson. Uh, I've driven over here in Ashburn after Josh Harris's presser, after open locker room this morning. And uh, Logan, there's plenty to talk about for sure, as today is Black Monday, the day that Ron Rivera uh, ultimately saw his tenure come to an end with the commander. So we will talk about that kind of Rivera postmortem. We will talk about some of the early names that have come out and kind of what's next for this commander's franchise. But Logan, you you got a chance to obviously get to know Ron over the last yep. couple of years. You did the show with him weekly. You got a chance to, to talk to him on and off camera. When you think back to the four years, there's there's a lot of stuff that we'll get into in kind of the the negative stuff that ultimately ends with him losing his job and being four and 13 this year. We're not going to hide from that, but when, when something comes to an end, you tend to reflect on the positive first. So um, what, what are you, what are your reflections of these last four years? Yeah. I mean, I think he was a guy that came in and, and kind of had like a kind of an unwinnable task, so to speak, like the culture here in Washington is always, at least recently has been kind of terrible, you know, and I think that started with the top started with the old ownership. And um, you know, he kind of was tasked as the guy to kind of get everything back on track and I think in a, to a large extent he was able to do that at least from a team standpoint kind of bringing in the right kind of character guys and admit and, and, and alleviating some of the adversity in the locker room that you'd seen over the past couple of years which is great but in terms of getting a kind of a fair shot to be a head coach I don't think it was very fair but you know nothing in life nothing in the NFL is very fair right no. ton of adversity over the course of his tenure and that's the thing that I always think back to you know obviously the cancer and I don't think people realized quite how sick he was you know and then yeah. there's the COVID year after the cancer then there's all the stuff with uh, the the scandals and the sexual harassment stuff associated with the ownership so there was never like a clean sheet for him uh, but 
you know, like that's life in the NFL. You got to kind of like roll with those punches. And then there's obviously the stuff, you know, from a football standpoint that we've been kind of subtly criti critical of over the past couple of weeks. But I think that's what I say. And I say ultimately Ron is a, a good person, a, a smarter football guy than I think a lot of people want to give him credit for. Yeah. And I think those two things are are nice, you know, are, are, are nice things to say about him. Smart dude, good guy, really, really good dude. And um, but ultimately, like you don't win, you don't win games with that all the time. For sure. I think it was interesting being in the locker room today and you know you ask all the players in some form or fashion what do you think of ron as he's headed out the door and there's not a really a bad word right. to be said um you know the, the closest to that was charles leno was basically like this is the business yeah. and it was pretty clear that leno didn't think a lot of ron as a football coach but he went out of his way to say like he's a good man right and so i think you see that through and through and and there is something to that and in talking to some folks around the building today um you even hear like man it was it was really bad at times right. and um you know so made the analogy of just like he was the guy that took the charge like yeah. just plant your feet right. in there and you're about lebron james is coming down the lane and <laughs> that's a good you, uh, you're gonna take it in the face and ron was willing to to take it yeah um and which is something that i think is an interesting thing to, to think about like an intellectual exercise of like he did sign up for that to yeah. an extent um you when you go to work for daniel snyder you're gonna have to take some charges <laughs> but i don't think anyone could have anticipated right. that and obviously also I, I think you bring up something that kind of we all brush over now in 2024 like he takes the job in january of 2020 we do not know that a global pandemic is going to shut down the world right. a month later two months later and so what happens is, is he's trying to instill this new culture and make some of these changes and he can't meet with guys right and, and the the draft process is very different that you're like who knows do they sit down with chase young face to face and be like ah, i don't know right like you just don't know but yeah. then again every other team had to draft the same way in 2020 and um that is that reality but, but i also think couple that with the fact that he was sick you're right. Know, like oh, and he, then like, after, sure, it, it became like the the rules around the building a lot. You know, a lot of people were really concerned about him coming yeah. off. You know, being kind of immune compromised, all that kind of stuff. So I think it was, it was, it was just kind of stacking a, a making a terrible situation that worse, much worse. Yeah. And I think it just it was very very challenging. I, I mean, that's all we can say about it. It was very very hard. There was a lot of adversity associated with it. And did other teams find ways to handle that? Absolutely. But yeah. I do think that I think the fact that he was sick, you know, is something that people forget about. And he, for the fact that he was able to put on a good face for a lot that year and not let it not let it affect the team crazy to say but not yeah. let it really affect and to the, the extent team. that it did like right. it was a positive right. because guys really did rally around him yeah. that was that was a real thing it feels you know weird now looking back on it but like in the moment that was definitely a thing that was a thing um in terms of where it goes wrong i think you know you make you make decisions as yeah. a football person, as a manager, as in his case, as a president of football operations. And this is where I think it's very easy to be critical of him because it's correct right. criticism, not like, oh, yeah, we're having fun criticizing, but like it's very easy. Eventually, through all that stuff, you have to make decisions. And if you make right ones, despite all the circumstances, mm -hmm. you can overcome it. You can right. win football games. You can build something. And it just seemed like to me that the thing that is overwhelming throughout his era is the miss or the uh not getting correct the biggest decisions mm. and so what i mean by that is when you spend big money on a free agent or you have a first round draft pick and like a player personnel standpoint and i think also as coordinators i, I don't i think there's yeah. mistakes made uh with all three of them that he ultimately has yep. um in some form or fashion whether it's keeping them too long hiring a bad one a bad fit mm. whatever we can get into it but i think from a player personnel standpoint the biggest signings he had, William Jackson, big money free agent, right. total whiff for, you know, first round draft picks like Jamin Davis is a fine player. 
I don't know that it was a good use right. of a first round pick. Um, Chase, obviously, and, and especially in that year when you have the number two overall pick, you could take Tua, you could take Justin Herbert, and instead you take Chase Young, and it doesn't work out. Um, I think that to me is like if, if you get some of those right, some of the other things are less important because you have so much talent that it, it you make it work. And I think that is the the biggest undoing on a long list of things that did not go well. And I think some of the other like. Some of the other things tend to fill in the gaps and illuminate maybe some of the reasons why, but as the the headline, to me, that's the headline. Yeah, and I think John Kime said something really interesting on the podcast, and I think this speaks to what Ron is as a person. He's very optimistic, and I think yeah. that leads to one of the things that why guys like him. He's very optimistic. He's got pretty good energy when he's around the guys, which is always fun to see, but it leads to... You know, maybe Sam Mills stays a little bit longer than he mm-hmm. should. Maybe Scott Turner stays a little bit longer than he should. And instead of Jack kind of, as well, yeah, nipping those things in the butt when it looked like it wasn't going to work out, you're kind of giving the guy the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the opportunity. And I and I respect Ron for that, but I also think there's times where you got to say, hey, like this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. You know, like specifically the Sam Mills thing, because I think you can kind of see the 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 cancerous effect that that had on that group for for the rest of his time here, right? He's the same. Uh, Chase didn't develop the way he thought. Montez didn't develop the way he thought. Obviously, John and Payne were very successful, but that was after Sam left, right? So you bring in a guy and uh, Z who's played a lot of football. And again, you see the benefit for them, but not necessarily the rest of the group. You know, what is Chase Young if you've got kind of that that stud defensive line coach that I think Ron thought he had? You know, when you talk to Ron about it, he was like, you know, he's the, he's the, um, he was the disciple of the best D line coach that I've ever worked with. And so I thought he was going to be the next guy and it didn't shake out. And I think identifying that early and saying, okay, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go is a really tough thing. But I also think his optimism paid off in certain situations. Like he saw the development of Cam Curl. I think he saw the development of Jamin Davis a little bit, right? And it took a long time to get there. But I think it's there's there's good and bad with being an overly optimistic person. No doubt. Um, I think with Jamin is a great example too of kind of the optimism optimism without a plan sure i guess and and that that to me is like the other big uh identifying characteristic of rivera's tenure is that there was never a cohesive plan Mm. for how to build and i'm not talking about organizationally i'm talking about football team Mm. like the roster it definitely i I know what you're saying it definitely appears that way from like a thousand from from the personnel like how does the personnel and the scheme go together and does it stay year over year over year over year so that you can literally build on it and they went from Scott Turner, all right, Eric Coriel, vertical passing game to like, this ain't working. We got to run the football more. And then you draft Brian Robinson and you build an O-line that's probably shaded a little better to, as, as running yeah. blockers than yeah. pass protectors. Defensively, like, are you a blitz heavy team? Or are you kind of built around this D-line? You're going to play a bunch of coverage. And is that coverage zone or man? Then you, yeah. hi- you get corners that are the opposite of what you're planning on doing. And like schematically personnel, cohesiveness, there just there wasn't any mm. uh, over his four years where you go that's what they were trying to build mm. and i think that informed some of those decisions uh in terms of like sticking with guys a little bit sure. too long but also kind of wraps back to the first where i started where like okay if we're going to be a zone team yeah. and we bring in william jackson third like it probably is not going to work great yeah and i think it's also again they go back to the optimism that we have the right coaches in place to get william jackson the third in the right spot or right. we have the right coaches to to make sure that we can to play turn jamie davis into someone who's worth taking yeah. at 19 and i think that's right and i think you know we, we were very this year you were like oh here here it is but i yeah. think you know it took him three years to get to this point and again like jamie went through a lot of adversity and you know but 
I think that was one of the criticisms of the pick at the time from, you know, the national kind of draft people was that he was so green, like what was he going to be? So um, I think it, it kind of goes back to that optimism and making those hard choices. And I think, you know, John said this, and I think John does, has great insight on this, is he kind of favored the familiarity as yes. opposed to, and there are like, look around the league. Like there's a reason that Kyle Shanahan works with, work with Mike McDaniels for 10 years, right? Like they, there's a familiarity there and a trust and that, that is a good working relationship but also you need to kind of go out and make some some tough decisions when it comes to staffing and kind of find the best people as opposed to the people that well, it's they, what, they, they're yeah. most familiar with i guess it, it, it's also one thing like when you're kyle and you've been as successful as kyle is it's like you're getting hired because you were super successful and you want to bring the people that helped you do that mm-hmm. ron you know rebuilt as i put in one story i think it was sam in the post it's like kind of rebuilt carolina 2.0 mm-hmm. and they weren't exactly like of course 2015 was a magical season they make the super bowl they're 15 and one cam wins mvp but outside of that there's not a lot of success in carolina no. so like why are you rebuilding that here and it goes to that optimism because you think you can make it work you've got some good plans on paper um and it's just like same thing with eric right you know eric probably the best oc on the market last offseason i'm not mad you know i i can't go back and pretend like i was mad at the hire but it didn't fit with the plan and the personnel when you talk about young quarterback the way the o-line was built all Mm -hmm. those types of things to then implement a game plan stylistically run pass you know kind of how leveraged the quarterback Mm -hmm. was with what they had but it was like Oh, let's just get talented people and make sure and, and maybe it'll work out. But I don't know, favoring certain talents over others, mm. favoring not not making sure that there was, again, that cohesive vision that fit into. And that's where I think that ultimately this era falls short. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think that's kind of right on the nose and it's tough and it's so easy. I, I just want to say this, too. It's so easy to look back on these decisions and say, oh, like it's because of X, Y, Z, because you have the, the benefit of hindsight. But I do think there was a lot of people who were kind of, you know, questioning Sam Mills when he was here, you know, and for I, sure. And I think obviously Ron was, too. It's just about how long it took the decision to be made. And uh, I think he I think he ultimately saw it. I think he saw those decisions and, and made the decisions is just about, you know, the timing of them, I think, in addition to some other things. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Uh, anything else? Reflection on Rivera before we uh, do what everyone wants, which is to look ahead. <laughs> right. So I guess I would just say, like, thank thank Ron for his time. Really appreciate it. I know it didn't go exactly the way he wanted it or the way the fans wanted it, but gave a lot of time to this organization and uh, that can't be overlooked. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I was talking with someone today and they were like, you know what? We part of the reason that we could trust the end of like make it all the way to the end of the season is was because, because yeah. he was going to land the plane. Yeah. Like he is a professional right. and that's not something that you can count on every coach in the NFL yeah. doing. Um, but it's certainly something that, that Ron was good and are good for. And uh, now, now the plane has landed and, and forward. I just want to say this, like talking about being a pro, I got to do that show with him every week. And I think Ron could see the writing on the wall, probably week seven, week eight. And he did not deviate or change his personality at all when it came to doing the shows and media access and, takes a takes a special kind of courage to do that as you know you've dealt with guys who have been on the chopping block or not psyched about it not pumped and they're they they take it on other people and never saw that from him so again pros pro did a great job landed the plane like you said but i think it's definitively time to to move on to the next phase yeah without a doubt so let's look ahead at what's next 
Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Onward we go, Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. So Josh Harris spoke today. Uh, I was there for the press conference uh, as we're recording this, so about an hour ago. Uh, He described what he hopes will be a thorough but rapid process to hire the lead football executive and ultimately head coach. Um, I thought it was interesting. He said that, you know, he doesn't have, like he has a structure in mind. He would like to hire some kind of chief football executive, whether that's a GM or they have another title. And let that person help hire the head coach but it definitely sounded like if they either fall in love with the head coach and that person has options and they have to make a call right. without the gm being hired they will i'm just going to refer to this football person as a gm from now on to to make it yeah. clear uh then they will it also sounded like if it's going to take giving that person some kind of personnel control mm. um that they would potentially do oh, it basically he's like we will be flexible with the talent i want the best talent here now i don't know that that's they're going to do that and i do think that they'll probably be very diligent about that they don't want to give someone too much power a la what's kind of been the downfall of belichick in sure. new england and, and frankly was a problem with Ron here uh, too much on his plate and and Josh did describe how he feels like head coach is an 80 hour a week job and and lead football executive GM is an 80 hour a week job and there's there's definitely two jobs there Um, so (laughs) that's I mean I think that's good insight though honestly but I I, it's funny you mentioned that I was just looking at this list you sent me and there's one guy on the list that you're like he would want personnel control and that's Harbaugh right like and so if it's if that's what they got to do to get him here I'm sure they would be like oh yeah we'll make some yeah which would be interesting um, because Jim I of the guys that are there, um, I think they're all good. So as we're recording this, it's it's 2.20 on Monday. And the list so far of, of people that they have said they're going to reach out to and request interviews for are Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn of the Lions, Anthony Weaver of the Ravens, Raheem Morris, of course, used to coach here mm-hmm. in D.C., but currently the, the defensive coordinator for the Rams. And then apparently they have reached out to Jim Harbaugh's agent, Don Yee, uh, who represented Tom Brady, amongst others, for a long time. Um, but Harbaugh has been very clear that he's not listening to anything from the NFL until tonight when the national championship game was his Michigan Wolverines ends. So um, he's a guy that uh, is obviously a phenomenal coach. And has, Does he, he get was, you excited? I know he's great. He's, he's one that's so interesting to me because I have no doubt if Jim Harbaugh was here, they'd win. Yeah. I also have no doubt he'd be gone in five years because, because he irritates he the hell out yeah. of people. That's what he does. I mean, but like that's you create a winning culture and um, he like it's his resume is fantastic it's unbelievable like when you look at it and you know obviously uh my father-in-law is a big stanford guy big san francisco 49ers guy so watching what he was able to do to both those organizations what he did at the d2 level at san diego not san diego state uh, yeah university san diego state? Uni- university of san diego oh yeah yeah, that's yeah. What it and was. then to go to michigan which everyone thought would never outshine ohio state and out recruit and out coach and out tough those teams i mean definitely they would win football games 100 percent. Uh, but he does he does have a, a reputation for being for, uh, he's got a shelf life yes that's exactly uh, right. but then again i don't know how much you worry about that because most coaches don't really last that long in the league unless you're like belichick or mike tomlin who's just you know finish your 17 um most coaches like if you can get into a second contract you've done an um, unbelievable job uh and so i don't know how much i'd worry about that because i'd be just as worried that my you know yeah 
I'm not even going to put a name on that list, but yeah. that Coach X is right. also not going to have a shelf life longer than five years because they're not going to win enough. Right. Um, so it is there. There is that. Um, but I think I think what was good about what Josh had to say today is he clearly understands the cohesive thing. Right. That thing that we talked about in the first segment that Ron never really got here of mm. like, I want my front office and my coaching staff to be on the same page and have a vision for like what this team looks like. And it's funny. I mean, funny. I don't know if that's the right word. It's ironic that Ron didn't have that because Ron was both the coach and the front office. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't happen. So, I mean, but I think that also speaks to how weird that first year was for Ron, where he's like, in part, yeah. he's sick and he, he's kind of making all these decisions. And then eventually it kind of settled in when, when uh, the, Mar- the Martys got there, right? But yeah. it took a minute, right? And I think like he did understand it. But again, it kind of goes back to that. But it also shows the skill sets. Right, oh, like, 100%. can you, you think you know what you want as a coach, but can you find it as a talent evaluator? Right, and like, that, do you have the time? The, I love that analogy. Like, yeah. they're both eighty-hour-a-week jobs. Like, you need to find two people that are very smart. And I think, sorry to cut you off, but like, you look at San Fran, for example. I think yeah. they do a great job of of there is a personnel department, there is a head coach, but they work very closely together on establishing their cultural identity. 100%. And it's fine for your coach to establish a lot of that identity um, as long as he really is someone who's going to be there for a long time. Um, But then ultimately, do you have the people to execute it, yeah. it you know and you know because everyone always wants to make it into like what happens in the draft room who has the final say mm. and it, like there's going to be some you know warring of the words right. with two sides standing on tables throwing helmets at each other and it's like that's no you've, you've done that work beforehand because you right. work together um though speaking of the uh front office side as of again when we're recording this uh they've already put in requests for adam peters of the 49ers chief's assistant general manager mike borganzi eagles assistant gm alec Hallow- uh, who's a big analytics guy. Mm. Uh, obviously, I would assume that uh, Harris is somewhat familiar with how the Eagles are run sure. from his time running the Sixers before uh, Jeffrey Lurie might have known that that was a, a future spy. Uh, and then you got Ian Cunningham from the Bears and Glenn Cook from the Browns, both of whom are very, very highly thought of yeah. assistant general managers. Um, but I, I just think that the the general like, I got this, I know what I'm doing nature of Josh Harris is really impressive. And, you know, we've seen a lot of different owners across sports and how many different owners do we see, especially NFL owners that like they speak and you're like, that guy's lucky he's rich. (laughs) And like Josh Harris, you hear him speak and you're like, I know how that dude got rich. Yeah, right. Yeah, He's it, really smart. Yeah, I think that is that is really interesting. It's nice to see that here. It's nice to and again, it's it's always you know juxtaposing it to the person that was here before, like just someone who can be very outward facing and articulate themselves and is comfortable in front of the camera and has some kind of engagement while also remaining kind of professional. And and we've seen it not go well in other organizations. Like I look at Carolina right now and that's a tough deal. So, um, but I, you know, I think it's, I think it seems like he's got the process sound out. And also I was just looking at these candidates again while you were talking and it seems like they've identified guys that have strong kind of cultures of toughness. Like you look at the Detroit Lions, look at the Baltimore Ravens, look at Jim Harbaugh, like that's his thing. Right. And even Raheem Morris to a certain extent, like when you watch what they're doing in LA, like that's an established culture of winning, right? You know, since Sean McVay's been there. So I do think it's uh, it's a very kind of unique and very specific, in a general way, very specific type of guy that they're looking for. Right. And I think everyone always gets focused on, I don't say everyone gets focused on the wrong things. Sometimes people get focused on the wrong things. Offensive, defensive, right. this, that. Right. Oh, we want a guy that's coached both sides of the ball. I love it. I mean, I love a tight ends coach. Yeah, you know, I love a tight, I love ends, a tight coach ends coach. Because yeah. they understand the, the run game and the pass game. And like all those things are pertinent information. But like the overarching 
theme, the overarching thread that ties them together is that toughness element. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and do you have that from a culture standpoint? Speaking of culture, I do want to get back to the name yeah, specifically sorry. in a second. But I think to start a little broader, uh, they hired Bob Myers, yeah. um, which it's so to be clear, based off what Harris said today, uh, both Myers, uh, the former Golden State Warriors chief executive who helped build this dynasty, obviously, uh, Steph Curry is the most important piece of that. If you can get a Steph Curry as a basketball player, mm-hmm. you're going to win a lot of basketball all the games. Pe- all the pieces that he was that and you're going to find there, right? Sure. But like Curry and, like and some of the, the luck they had in terms of their Personnel, you know, like, contract that yeah. they were able to sign him to, which allowed them to do other things. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Like, I would tell you as someone who is a massive NBA fan and who is a big fan of the Warriors because I just love the way they play and has been following this thing for a long time. Steph Curry's the most important to the war- person of the Warriors dynasty. Duh. Mm. I can make an argument Bob Myers is the second. Mm. Like from the other moves he made to how he built the organization to him being a person that from a culture standpoint was an enforcer of the culture, but also uh, kind of a therapist of the culture. Right. Like Draymond Green and Bob Myers, and Draymond Green obviously is a very uh, tough, interesting personality, right? Someone who I, I'm a huge fan right. of, but like Draymond's got his issues um, and he's been working through them specifically in the last two months. Myers was someone who really was able to work with Draymond right. on a lot of stuff um, and kind of kept the boiling or the water at the right temperature to be hot enough that they would win, but not boil over. Mm. Like he was, he was an active, a part of that um, as was Steve Kerr, obviously mm. the head coach. So when you talk about hiring someone to help build a culture, and even if he's not going to be involved much past this search, he is, I think a tremendously interesting person. And I, I would say a smart person. And what Harris said today is he is probably going to continue to advise Harris past this search. Yeah. It won't be anything formal. He's not going to be the team president, nothing like that. Uh, it sounds like anyway, but he will be an advisor. Then the other guy they hire is Chris Spielman, yeah. longtime executive in the league, um, 10 years with the Vikings is one executive of the year. And that joins uh, Mitchell Rails, uh, obviously Josh Harris and Magic Johnson as the predominant people who will be conducting the search. Yeah, I think I think that that's exciting for me. You know, and I think like, you know, when you're talking about, oh, this is a football organization, what does he know about it? But I think you mentioned like the cultural element, right? Understanding the pieces, the leadership um, and kind of the that je ne sais quoi that we talk about in relation to quarterback all the time, but like, how are you as a leader of men? You know, like, and I remember, um, you know, in, in Sean McVay's, um, you know, interview process with the Rams, like they interviewed Marshall Falk, not not because Marshall Falk is this great football insight, because they felt like Marshall Falk's a good leader and he could identify someone that could get the guys to rally behind him. And it sounds like this guy from the Golden State Warriors is that guy. And yeah. then you couple that with with the GM background or the executive background of the guy from Minnesota, I forget his name at the uh, moment. Chris Spielman. Chris Spielman, like, I think that's a very very potent mix of things a guy that is super dialed in on the football side a guy that has made a winner at the highest level right in the basketball world and i think both those things coming together work in a really really nice fashion and, and then add in you know the the ownership group as it exists and magic johnson all that stuff i i it makes me excited that a good decision can be made here uh, with a lot of clarity. Yeah, I mean, to me, if you can sit down in a room and you can impress Bob Myers, yeah. who has won four NBA championships, and by the way, before that, championship player at UCLA yep. um, as, as a player, uh, and then he was an agent for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he has, he has worked uh, on all sides of the sports business. He knows a lot of people as well. Um, so when you talk about doing some of that research that kind of happens in the background, Bob Myers is very qualified to do it. You can sit down and impress him 
Magic Johnson, one of the greatest winners in the history of pro sports. Uh, Josh Harris, who absolutely built a, a behemoth in the finance industry. True. Mitch Rails, who's built multi, multi-million dollar companies. Uh, and who am I forgetting? Oh, and Chris Spielman, yeah. uh, who was a longtime NFL player and a great executive for a long time. If you can impress those people, you're probably qualified for the yeah. job. And then my one my one concern, right? It's I don't even concern's too strong. The one the one thing that I'm interested in in making sure that they overcome is it's not a lot of football experience. And so when you talk about someone who has that football vision, obviously there's a lot on Spielman's plate there. Yeah. But I think that thing is more important for the head coach than it is the GM. I was gonna say, I, hopefully they, what I would hope is that they hire a VP of football ops, a, a GM, GM whoever, whatever that person is first. And again, not that they're gonna be- And that's their be, plan, just to be clear. Not that they're gonna be, that guy's gonna be making the coaching hire, but at least you have a sounding board uh, from a more football centric perspective that kind of gives you, hey, like I can work with this guy. He's got a good reputation. He or she has a good reputation. And I think that's ultimately like kind of what you said they're, they're planning on doing. And I think that feels like the right decision because a GM, while important for football ops, you know, very critical in terms of vision is a different type of vision than what you're going to see from your football coach. And I think that group, it seems to be at the moment very, very qualified to identify that kind of talent and then using that as a resource, identify the head coach. Right. Because your GM needs to be able to hire skill scouts that kind of get at that granular level. And of course, if you have a GM with a scouting background, that person's mm. scouting ability becomes very important. Right. But that's, you know, if you, if you because hire- Because really like it's about finding someone who, again, has this vision you're describing, right, right. for the organization, and then can distill copious amounts of information, yes. right? That's really what it ultimately comes down to. And it's the vision, the copious amounts of information, then how are they to work with, right? In terms right. of compromising and dealing with other people. So it's not, it's nothing I think overly complicated. It's just about making sure you identify the right person for this position and the vision of, of the ownership group and what they think for the right. franchise. And so then you have two football people in the room to talk ball with right. coach candidates. Yeah. Um, and so what that'll happen, look like from a timing standpoint is there are virtual interviews that can happen up until basically January 22nd. They happen in, in smaller windows and it's different for people that currently have jobs with right. clubs that are in the playoffs versus don't. And it's very convoluted. I read the rules and was like, I still don't fully understand this, um, <laughs> which might have something to do with my reading comprehension at 10 o'clock last night right. at FedEx Field or whatever the hell time it was. Um, I don't think it was that late. Anyway, point is, uh, they'll do that. And so they'll cast a very wide net because if you don't do that first round of virtual interviews, mm -hmm. then you can't get someone for an in-person and ultimately hire them down the road. So they'll cast a very wide net, get a bunch of virtual interviews done, hopefully within these next couple of weeks, hire that football person and then conduct the final round of in-person interviews, hire a head coach. And I, I think the, the phrase that Harris used was great because I always worry about the timing of these things too, of like, if you want to hit the ground running your first season, you can't, I mean, if you're stuck waiting because your coach wins the Super Bowl, okay. Right. But you would ideally like to hire your head coach before the Senior Bowl. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, that's usually how it plays out, right? Like there was a couple of years where like D'Amico Ryans is left out of the coaching cycle because they're pushing deep into the playoffs or Eric Bieniemy that was an issue for him for a couple of years yeah. in a row, right? So that is a thing that's definitely important in terms of this this calculus moving forward. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I, you definitely want to have that lead football person in by the senior bowl so they can go down, be there oh. present, running your scouting department, yeah. get it as organized as you can within a week because they probably only have that long, maybe two um, to get hired. So um, that's definitely something interesting to watch uh from a timing perspective but hey if like ben johnson and aaron glenn are your two final candidates and mm -hmm. the lions make the super bowl then you're gonna have to wait to hire a head yeah. coach and that's just the reality of it um steichen and gannon dealt with that last mm -hmm. year 
Um, and for whatever it's worth, like Steichen and the Colts had a pretty good year. So yeah. you can certainly honestly, overcome it. So did Gannon. I know that was the worst roster in football. And yeah. like, he was able to kind of cultivate a, a winning mentality there. Scrappy, let's say. Yeah. Which is good in the first year. You want to see that. So For sure. Um, all right. So let's wrap up with this then. Uh, last few minutes here. The names themselves. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much tape you've watched of these teams. Obviously, throughout the course of the season, you're naturally going to get some of them because right. they're commander's opponents or as you're scouting the commander's opponents, you see them. Um, Ben Johnson is the bell of the ball. I saw that for, I think I shout out to Ben standing. I think he used that, that phrase and I don't want to rip it off from him and not credit him because that's a terrible thing to do. Um, (laughs) So I, I, he is the guy that is going to be the top candidate overall. What do you make of him? His background got us some tight ends coaching, got some quarterbacks coaching, played quarterback. Um, and obviously the last two years, the Lions have been one of the best offenses in football. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those offenses that you really enjoy watching. You know, like in the same way that you turn on Miami, you turn on San Francisco, Houston, and you're just like, wow, they are doing a lot of great stuff here from a protection standpoint, from a run game standpoint. I love the physical mentality that they bring each and every week, much like San Francisco. And then the deep play explosive ability that they generate in the offense and how they deleverage the quarterback spot. And I just think like that's good. That is to, to me, you're going to be hard pressed to find a more innovative offensive football mind outside of those three teams. And it's great that he, he's going to be a guy that's going to be open for a coaching position. Another thing I like about him is he's worked with Dan Campbell and say what you want about Dan Campbell from a football X's and O standpoint. Talk about a culture builder like he yeah. got to see that from square one taking a loser and turning it into a winner. And so I like that there's that background exposure for him in addition to all the X's and O stuff that you see. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this on the pod before, but we had Adam Amin, Fox broadcaster, on uh, a couple of weeks ago, yep. about a month ago. And I asked him, you know, because, hey, you get all, all these production meetings, you meet with a ton of coordinators around the league. Is there anybody that stands out as a potential head coach? And Adam hasn't had some of the, the, teams with the names on the list right. but he had the lions a couple of times he's like dude ben johnson is on a different world right. he's got that it factor that dynamic personality that will translate well to being a head coach another guy that is definitely a dynamic personality if you watch hard knocks the lions edition last year there was a fair amount of aaron glenn mm, right he's an interesting guy to me because he was on the hot seat earlier this yes. year and they've kind of figured it out enough uh yeah. down mm-hmm. in detroit and he's a guy that former player really good player right. by the way in his days with the jets um but is he like for a guy that was this recently on the hot seat does that get you as excited or does it almost get you more excited because he's such like he he did some of the problem solving that you yeah. look for and again like you're looking for guys that solve problems defensively i think he falls in that bucket They're, he's very aggressive likes to bring a lot of zero pressure think you know kind of uh, wink martindale ish you know what yeah. i'm saying we're scheming up protections we're attacking teams i think the thing that comes off this list more than anything is they come from tough cultures right yeah and you're gonna be hard pressed to find a, a defensive coach and offensive coach from a tougher culture than the detroit lions who are both kind of up and coming optimistic in terms of what they bring from a football standpoint right so i think like that's one reason i don't think it's it's happenstance that the guy from baltimore is on there yeah i don't think it's happened different guy than a lot of people were expecting yes, from baltimore though. right I, um, I agree yeah but we'll see you know this is a this is a list as of uh the coaching vacancy that's four hours old. Right. So. But I think the, the thing that's, that jumps out to me is it's not necessarily the X's and O's because if it's X's and O's, you definitely have Frank Smith on this list. You definitely have probably Bobby Sloak on this. You have different names. This is a 
culture mentality type of hire that they are looking for. I, to me, it seems like, yeah. right? And I think obviously you mentioned Ben Johnson, everyone, like I just said, how great I think he is offensively, at least what he's doing. But the other guys on that list, they are tough sons of guns, right? They come from tough cultures that have won a lot and they have a good good approach. Like even Raheem Morris, like again, I know LA is a little bit different than Baltimore or Michigan or one of these other teams, but God bless, man. Like that is a winner and they get, they get the most out of their guys there. You know, so I think that's something else to consider. Yeah, and I think the last thing just to kind of circle all of this together some comments from last night in the locker room and today um about you know the guy that that is probably the toughest on the commander staff is Bienemy mm-hmm. and Charles Leno and Logan Thomas said basically the same exact thing which is like we butted heads with the guy at times there were some ups and downs but he was totally uncompromising mm. and he was the same guy every day and I thought that was really interesting because that was a way for two guys who were vets mm-hmm. to basically be like, yeah, I didn't love this. <laughs> um, but I also am going to say something nice enough that I don't come off as a total right. jack wagon. Um, I'm going to say something nice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a professional. But I, I do think when we talk about the culture moving forward, that is something that needs to be examined on the roster as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because it definitely... like. John Allen had his moments this year in terms of leadership. I mean, for whatever it's worth, like I, if you don't post to talk to the media after your final game or, or for a locker clean out, is it the end of the world? No. But dude, if you're a team captain and you're MIA after the final game of the regular season yeah. and and you don't post for a locker clean out, it's not a great look. Right. And then you got two of your, your big vets coming out saying like, yeah, it didn't really don't know that I, the offensive coordinator is my best friend, which is not to say that like I'm assigning blame to either right. the vets or the OC. But just when a, when, a, when a young guy point. like Jahan is coming out talking about the leaders on the team, right? And like we need better leadership from the players. Kind of like you talking about those guys over there, those big tall guys over <laughs> yeah, there, right? You know, and that that's the kind of thing that I just I wonder if you will. And I think that's something that we'll learn more about as we get into the off season about you know how people really feel about that stuff. You know, here's like the first domino in terms of real information to fall. Yeah, people are going to start talking here before you know it, and um, and I definitely think that's going to be an interesting conversation. Today. But it's just in terms of like oh, when you build the culture yeah. moving forward, like yeah. you got to make sure your vets, the guys you bring in, are guys that are supportive of your head coach that are believing in the system and i mean again like you yeah. were that guy in san francisco like yeah. kyle brought you in part because you were a good blocker and he needed someone but to I block think defensive definitely ends. more to, to the to the letter part of that where it's i'm here to kind of help install belief and help get the system across and like, that was awesome that he did that but that is a thing right and i look at again how san fran is built and like what they value in certain positions and the kind of guys they get they're not you know they're not the most valuable guys league-wide like debo samuel good player right but he fits what they do really well yeah. he's very physical he's tough right george kittle physical tough like not the most nuanced route rudder but obviously they've prioritized that kind of guy right yeah and it's not like they don't have fun at practice they do and i think kyle has learned how to relate to those guys but they have from the gm to the coach have identified a type of person that they want on that team that fits with their vision it's the same thing with seattle like say what you want about pete carroll he does a great job of finding people that fit his vision pete's thing is compete correct he finds competitive sons of like devin witherspoon is a freaking seahawk man yeah you know and i think and you just go down the list of what of of what he prioritized and they're not always guys of the highest character or the best workers necessarily but they say we want dudes who are going to compete and they love football and they get those guys there and i think that's again why this gm 
to coach is so important for establishing this identity because they can say, how do we establish this vision? And then again, if it's, it's, if it's going to be a very jarring transition, you know, they got to make sure they got the right guy to helm the ship too, or, or gal while we're, uh, while we're here. So yeah, for sure. And, uh, also potentially throw some people into the, to the ocean. So yes. to speak. they'll land, they'll be fine. Like they're not actually going to like go into the middle of the ocean, but if you have people that don't really fit that mantra and you figure that out quickly, like sometimes in year one of a coaching uh, regime, you get that surprise training camp cut yeah. of a veteran. And right. uh, you know, maybe that's something that this, this clip looks prescient at the end of this podcast in August, as we tape it in the middle, actually the beginning really still of January. Although we're way closer to the middle of January than I want to admit. <laughs> anyway, our podcast is over. Uh, thank you so much for listening, not just today, but all season long. Obviously, it has been a tough one uh, to, to talk about. And, you know, for a podcast that, that thrives is, or thrives on X's and O's, uh, when the games become a little less relevant, uh, it's not always the easiest show to do. But uh, you guys kept on listening, and we really appreciate it. Our draft stuff's going to be awesome. Logan's already started on that. I got my draft prep that I'm starting as well. Um, but I know where our bread is buttered. It's with Logan's, and don't worry, he's starting. Uh, and, and other than that, uh, we'll be with you two times weekly. Our schedule adjust a little bit here over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, we're always on standby for breaking news as well. Uh, but make sure you're subscribed. That way you don't miss anything uh, on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. For Logan, I'm Craig, and we'll see you next time on Take Command. Take Command.